You're listening to the Foundation Podcast. This is The Chase, bringing you everything you need to know about policies affecting you, your family, and your community. I'm Andrew Brown. And I'm James Quintero. And welcome back to another episode of The Chase. James, based on the pile of empty Red Bull cans in your office, we must be in the last month of session. You know, it's been a marathon, but we can finally see that finish line right off in the distance. It's coming up. Not too quick, but uh, quick enough. I mean, people are dreading the death of their bills, the impending death of the things that you care about and built your entire year around. Well, there's always next session, right? <laughs> there's always, it's called job security. <laughs> Some things are a multi-session effort, sir. Incrementalism, James. We moved the ball forward. We got it out of the committee. We just Next year's the year, man. Next By the year. way, I have a few of those. So <laughs> <laughs> We all have a few of those. Uh, but how are things going overall for you? Uh, a mile a minute. So we have things coming at us left and right, of course, uh, in, in government for the people world. A big part of our uh, campaign agenda is local government reform. And of course, that means taking on a lot of bad guys, cities, counties, school districts, special districts. So we have a lot of bills moving through the process. I just want to hit a few real quick for the the listeners at home. Uh, In terms of open government reform, we have a lot of of really good legislation um, that is moving through the process right now. I want to touch on two, HB 1416 which would actually redefine business days for the purpose of local governments responding to public information act requests. Of course, this was a big deal during COVID. Um, This is a good bill just got out of committee sent to calendars. Another good bill that just got out of committee is HB 1810. This would require a governmental entity to provide information uh, in the format that a requester wants. So if I come to you as a governmental entity and say, hey, listen, can I get you that Excel spreadsheet filled with numbers and data? Um, You know, you as the governmental entity uh, wouldn't have the ability to come back with a PDF, right? And right. Which, which happens. And, and it's uh, for guys like me who live in this stuff, it happens all too frequently. The control so, F does not work. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so uh, two good bills on the open government front. Of course, there's many more running through the process right now. But uh, we're, I, I say, you know, from a transparency standpoint, we're, we're looking pretty good. Uh, when we get out of this uh, uh, current circus environment in the next you know, 30 days or so, I think we're going to look back and really see uh, how things have changed from, uh, you know, from where we were uh, this time last session in, in the muck of COVID versus uh, where we'll be in about uh, a month or so. That's excellent news. And um, on our end, and we're going to spike the football a little bit. LAA priority item for child and family policy passed the Senate to yesterday, last night, heading to Governor Abbott for the signature. Did it? I, I hadn't heard anything about it. You 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 had you hadn't said a word about it today. Me dancing around the office, <laughs> waving my arms in the air. Didn't tip you off. I, you know, I thought that uh, sombrero with uh, salsa dip in your hat was oh. uh, was for some reason progressively hotter as you yes. go around clockwise. <laughs> Uh, House Bill 567, which was our priority CPS reform package, uh, authored by Representative James Frank in the House, sponsored by Senator Brian Hughes, passed the Senate 31 to 0 yesterday. Now, this is a bill that will modernize the practice of child welfare in the state of Texas. It creates a more compassionate system. It recognizes that 
when you separate a child from their family, you are harming that child. You're causing trauma to that child. And we need to be using removal only when it's absolutely necessary to protect the child from harm. And so what 567 does is it, I think it moves the child welfare system to its intended purpose, which is to preserve and strengthen families, to provide real help to struggling families rather than punishing families who are doing their best and have some challenges that are in front of them. And then reserving that nuclear option of removing a child into foster care for only those circumstances where that child is in actual danger of being harmed. Uh, it's a really, really solid bill. Um, huge thanks to Governor Greg Abbott, who actually started this ball rolling. We joked about, you know, it's incremental change. It's next session, next session, next session. You know, this ball started rolling after the 85th legislature in 2017, when Governor Abbott put a working group together to look at pleadings practice in CPS cases, to look at how we were making these decisions about removing kids. And that's really where House Bill 567 started, was in that working group. Um, and then Chairman Frank and Chairman Hughes both picked it up and have just pushed it session after session, refined it, worked it through various stakeholders, and it's gotten across the finish line, going to the governor now for his signature. And you know, we really hope that he's going to complete the good work that he started back in 2017. So we are very, very happy, but the work continues. Um, we've got a number of other child welfare bills still working their way through the process, but other big news. Proposition B in Austin, on the ballot. This is the homeless camping ordinance. Is that a thing? I hadn't heard of. You haven't heard about this? I hadn't heard about that either. No, you haven't heard about that. It's it's just a minor local story in Austin (laughs) that hasn't made national news at all. Uh, Early voting's over. Election day is Saturday. What we're hearing is there's a lot of support out there for Prop B. Uh, People are tired of our homeless neighbors just being treated like second-class citizens and left in these encampments that aren't good for them and left to struggle with their various issues without any support. Um, And it's gotten up to the legislature. Uh, House Bill 1925 had a little bit of a battle on the floor. It got sent back to committee because of a point of order over an error with the witness list, one of these really technical points of order that will occasionally be brought up, but it got kicked back out of committee today, heading back to the floor. And there's a Senate companion that's in committee. I think the vote is pending there. So this is a big deal because, you know, as you drive around the streets of Austin, you know, it, it is a radically different place than it was 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, almost unrecognizable in some parts. And, And I think the members who are actually in town, you know, for session, have really been hit in the face with this with this catastrophe, this yeah. human catastrophe that's unfolding in front, front of our eyes right now, which is why I think you see such broad bipartisan support on 1925, because everybody recognizes what's happening here in Austin is fundamentally wrong. Right, exactly. And I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about you know, when people come to visit Austin, you know, you're proud of Austin. It, this is a cool city. It's a fun place to live. But we also find ourselves apologizing on the drive. Like we're going to go show them, you know, Barton Springs or we're going to go out for these great tacos. And then you're like, oh, I'm sorry that we have to drive through this homeless encampment where people are suffering on the street corner. You know, this is a great city and there are great people in this town. And the homeless 
in this community deserve better than what they've been given. And 1925 and other bills like it, Proposition B, I think are designed to do that, to show, to be more compassionate. Compassion is a huge theme right now. And we need to be more compassionate to our homeless neighbors in this town. No, agreed. Speaking of compassion, we actually have been uh, supporting a couple of different taxpayer protections that I think are making some, uh, some, Thank you for being compassionate you're, to my wallet. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, I just got my appraisal notice and I, I'm sure uh, just about everyone is like me, absolutely floored by what's happening right now. What was your advice? Day. Protest and pray? Protest, protest, protest and pray. <laughs> so um, let me just uh, tell you about a few of them. Uh, and I think there's going to be more to come as well. But HB 1869, which would redefine the definition of debt for the purposes of calculating the voter approval tax rate. How is debt currently defined? Um, So it is defined in such a way that it doesn't include certain things like certificates of obligation. Non-voter approved debt instruments are are excluded from the calculation right now. Which So this gives the localities that... Right. loophole to keep spending money. That there, they don't have. There's an incentive that's built into the current system that, you know, we ought to go in this direction because it's not included in this voter approval uh, tax rate limitation. So uh, there's a bill moving through the process, just got out of committee, sent to calendars. Uh, it would redefine debt in a positive way. Uh, pleased with that one. HB 3375 uh, is a bill that deals with a long sourced frustration for me. This this whole issue of massive severance payments that are provided to these high-level public public sector executives, right? You know, the latest one that I'm aware of is the two million dollar buyout of a Lancaster ISD superintendent. I actually think that one got tangled up in court and uh, maybe on pause at the moment, but. I want to find a job where they'll pay me millions of dollars to suck at my job. To go away. No, it's millions of dollars to go away. I mean, absolutely floored. And of course, this has massive property tax implications because, you know, these are not isolated incidents. In fact, uh, these are happening more and more frequently with superintendents, city managers and other high level executives. So uh, that bill, uh, which uh, I believe uh, is is carried by Chairman Leach, has been kicked out of committee, sent to calendars. Not so some good movement there. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to soapbox on this. Sure. But the left rages about golden parachutes for corporate executives. Why do we not hear anything about golden parachutes for these public sector employees. Uh, no idea. And not only is there no animosity on their end, but they actually support the practice because at least in the minds of groups like TASB and TASA and all the other, all the rest of the bad guys, you know, they argue that without this ability to offer, you know, these high priced incentives like this, they would lose superintendents to other states and other areas, right? And it just it drives me crazy because I look at my tax bill on the one hand and then I look at the unfairness of giving somebody a bag of cash on their way out. Right. As they go to either, you know, find Thanks another for ruining job our school or, district. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not even awarded on performance. Right. So I, I guess it would be one thing if the school district had just absolutely excelled in certain areas and students were outperforming, you know, anything you could imagine. Performance and as a, as Yeah, as a performance bonus, you know, these guys were given, you know, buckets of cash. But no, it's provided, you know, usually behind closed doors in executive session, the board will go in and determine what the compensation level is and why. And then they come out and they act like, you know, it's all above board. And that person usually goes away 
even when later on newspapers have, you know, dug into certain instances and found that there are either uh, there's uh, impropriety that's happened on the part of the superintendent. There are allegations of, of sexual abuse. There's, mm. you know, there's all kinds of misconduct that potentially happens. And, you know, maybe the board just wants to get rid of that person anyways. So I'll get off my soapbox. That bill's moving. Uh, that one really drives me crazy. One last one for you taxpayers out there. The Texas House and Texas Senate both have now agreed to close the disaster tax loophole. Of course, uh, this is a... Can we a, get the air horn on that I one, mean, producer? <laughs> so, uh, oh! oh. No, no, there it is! <laughs> we'll find it eventually. We'll find it eventually. SB 1438 will tell local governments that they can't use things like COVID as an excuse to raise taxes above three and a half percent without voter approval. So it's huge good. win. That's I think good. they got to work through a, a few differences on the amendments, but, but otherwise that bill is largely through the process should be headed to the governor's desk soon. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. What are you watching in the next week? Oh my goodness. Well, well I guess two weeks. Cause we got two weeks until D day for the house, right? Uh, you know, I, I am lost in a sea of time. I, I you know, time has no meaning, especially <laughs> really, in the Senate. It really doesn't. So, uh, in, in terms of what we're watching, one of the big things that, uh, that I'm actually looking forward to is taxpayer funded lobbying or as you're looking forward to producer, taxpayer, <laughs> yes. the death of taxpayer funded. Well, lobbying. it is a good source of job security. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, uh, of course I'm referring to both the ban, but also transparency. And we'll start with the transparency element. So uh, SB 1879 is a bill that would require governmental entities to report their lobbying expenditure details to the Texas Ethics Commission, right? And so as as I've come to learn over the last uh, year or so, when the legislature, when the last legislature came through and they imposed all these different disclosure requirements on governmental entities, some of these entities decided to uh, perhaps misinterpret the language oh, how convenient. Uh, on the advice of certain nonprofit associations that I will not name t- TML tech. Um, and so what, you hear something? what ended up happening is I would go to, let's say, you know, city of Tyler and say, Hey, Tyler, how much money are you spending to lobby the legislature? And I would refer them back to the law that was passed last session and say, you know, please comply as required by state law. Well, they would come back and they said, you know, well, we have a certain list here and it was a fairly sizable list, but they didn't provide the full level of information that I thought they should. What was left out? Ah, Texas Municipal League Association dues, right? Uh So, of course, a lot of cities like Tyler will pay membership dues to these various lobbying associations who then go up to the legislature and use that money to influence the direction of legislation. But because they had been advised by TML that they were not subject to the requirements, uh, the city of Tyler felt that they didn't need to report their dues. And so you see that situation replicated time after time after time. And so one of the things that 1879 tries to do is actually improve the transparency around the whole practice um, and, and, and do it in a way that this information will be centrally located in a state agency, fully accessible to the public, and we can get a much better idea not only of how much money is being spent through the associations, 
but also through Chapter 305 registered lobbyists. So right. um, some good movement on that end. And then, of course, uh, I believe it was last week, the Senate's signature taxpayer-funded lobby ban bill was fully approved, moved from the Senate to the House State Affairs Committee, where it is now awaiting a hearing. Again, that is Senate Bill 10, which was approved in the Senate and is now in the House. Um, we are uh, definitely encouraging our friends in the House to take this bill up. This is a bill that is a little bit limited in nature. You know, of course, if I had a magic wand, I would probably say, look, you know, taxpayer-funded lobbying is no more. Yeah. Um, no city, county, school district, or special district should be engaged in this process. SB 10 is limited in that it only applies to cities and counties. I think it's an excellent first step, right? We're taking... Uh, Sounds a, like a pretty decent compromise bill. It does. Um, you know, divide and conquer in my mind, uh, because anytime you take on not only every local government type, but also the Austin lobby, that's a big fight. Uh, and so by doing this in a little bit more piecemeal fashion, I think we have a much better chance at, at success. Um, if we can get it out of committee, I feel pretty confident that we'll at least have a good shot on the House floor. I'm not fully confident there, but uh, I think over the interim, you know, conservatives have done a lot to educate the members, not only on the practice, but on what's actually happening, like giving them granular level data to right. say, hey, these cities in your community are spending X number of dollars on this practice. And guess what? What are taxpayers getting for it? Higher taxes, more spending, bigger government. Right. Is, are, is that the kind of stuff that you want to support? And so and it and, seems like a logical argument, right? Cities and counties should not be working against the interests of the people who live there. Well, you're right, but they don't call it the circus for nothing. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> logic is uh, not well received. So, but first things first, you know, we got to get SB 10 out of the House State Affairs Committee. Um, that's going to be up to the discretion of the chairman. Um, I think if we can get a vote on that bill, it will be favorable, you know, I, and so I, I look forward to seeing a little bit more movement on that that end. As you mentioned earlier, we are starting to come up on some deadlines and starting to watch the clock a little bit more. We it's, are. Uh, I'll yeah. drop a case of Red Bull by your office Please later do, on because yeah. you've got a push coming. <laughs> uh, but if anybody can do it, you can do it. Oh, well, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate the optimism. I'm going to take that into... We're an optimistic place. We're yeah. happy warriors, right? That's right. That's what we... <laughs> All right. Well, lots of movement going on, lots of positive momentum at the legislature. 32 days left. We're almost there. People are starting to plan vacations and praying for no special sessions. So, <laughs> uh, let me just pop that balloon right now. Yeah, that would <laughs> stop dreaming, right? This has been another episode of The Chase. Thank you all for joining us.